Because that's an alien, bruv. Believe it. When I landed in the wrong place, though, you get to the wrong place. <laughs> well, lads, we discovered a species hitherto unknown to science. He kicks his head in. <laughs> Yo, check it. More. More what? Them things. Lovely fireworks. Mum, it's alien invasion. Of course it is. Welcome to episode four of First Strike, the Invasion podcast. Uh, we're covering all of the DC Comics crossover from 1988, Invasion, with me, Siskoid. And myself, Bass. And today we're actually getting into what the episodes are going to be a lot more like. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we did like a couple episodes where they were a bit longer. The last episode was pretty long because we, we read the Daily, uh, the Daily Planet, which right. is pretty long. But so, these... if you want to listen to an episode of people reading a newspaper, that was episode three. <laughs> it was a great newspaper. <laughs> but most episodes will be like this. Yeah. We're going to look at a single tie-in issue of the crossover. In this case, Checkmate number 11. And then uh, we'll be also talking about a little bit our connection with whatever title we're, we're covering. So, with Checkmate, uh, well, you'll see. But <laughs> we don't necessarily have a connection to each title, but uh, when we're talking about The Flash, Bass will have lots to say. When we're yeah. talking about um, Suicide Squad, I'll have a lot to say. You exactly. Know? Okay. So, checkmate number 11. Let's get right into it. The story is called God Save the Queen. Paul Kupperberg is the writer. Steve Irwin is the penciler. Al Vey, the inker. Letterer, Augustine Mass. Colorist Juliana Herriter and editor Jonathan Peterson. The cover by the legendary Gil Kane. It's a it's a great cover. I liked it, but uh, it's 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 kind of a violent cover. Well, you've got a checkmate knight with the the golden blue armor, sweeping his machine gun through us. In the back of him is a uh, wall kind of destroyed by uh, gunfire. You can see the the shots, and there are various terrorist types. Yeah, on the ground. On the ground, they're done. But it doesn't look a lot like a guilt. I mean, because the knight doesn't have his face exposed, you don't immediately see the characteristic Gil Kane facial look, which is very distinctive. But that is, I mean, that's his signature right there on the wall. You know, looking at it closer, oh yes, obviously it's a it's Gil Kane. If somebody's gonna be kind of on his back upside down, <laughs> yeah. usually they're being knocked over by Green Lantern or whoever. But <laughs> that's sort of a Gil Kane pose. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, slightly contorted, contorted, broken back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look. Yeah. Uh, let's give you a little context on Checkmate because, like Bas said, that that wasn't something you'd read. No, no. And and I was just going to ask you, Mike or or Cisco, what is <laughs> Checkmate? It's not a book I was I was reading either. Okay, right? Because it's a new format book, and at the time in 1988, I was well, I was stuck in a town without a comic book shop, yeah. and the new format books didn't come there. So basically, this is something I read for the podcast. But Checkmate was the sister organization to Task Force X, the Suicide Squad. Okay. Covert action group designed to perform tasks vital to the safety and interests of the U.S. government. The hierarchy is based on chess, thus the name. So you've got Amanda Waller, who is the queen. Okay. And liaison to the president. She supervises the king, which is Harry Stein in the story. And then there's a bishop, Harvey Bullock, who's like second in command. Okay. Harvey Bullock? Harvey Bullock from, from, the, from, from Batman. Batman. <laughs> was the was a bishop in wow. the, the organization. I, don't ask me how they, wow. why they, they thought this was a good idea, but Bullock at some point was basically a spy. I mean Wow, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And then there are rooks under him, 
Okay. Or under them, which are field directors, and they command uh, about 30 knights who are elite agents taken from uh, military and police forces across America, but across America, but across other countries as well. Okay. There, I think, like, this story takes place, we'll see, in the um, in the UK. I mean, it has British characters. Yeah. So, Checkmate is, is international okay. to some point. I remember there... towards the end of the series, it lasted 33 issues. Okay. And towards the end of the series, they had like there was a Russian checkmate. Okay, so it's probably popping up all over. Anyway, these guys are aided by just pawns. Okay, they're called pawns who do cleanup, support, transportation supplies. They're you know not the elite agents, but the the other agents, the, okay. the grunts. And they usually use the they've got a front called castle movers, which they use. So that's basically the setup. So you, okay. it's basically a spy group based on chess. With all the chess names. Well, it's a cool spy group. Well, I think it's cool. <laughs> this story is cool. My memory of Checkmate is that that series wasn't that great. Okay. There was another Checkmate later, like another Checkmate series later. We'll talk okay. about it yeah. after we cover the issue. Uh, that was more interesting, at least to me. But my memory of it was that Checkmate was great idea. Execution. Okay. But okay. this issue, I thought... Really worked well. If I read, like, if I was reading comic books and I never picked up Checkmate, and I picked up this one and thought, hmm, should I check it? I would have probably checked out Checkmate. Because I I thought it was kind of cool. It was kind of groovy, and and it it was kind of violent also. We'll get to that. Yeah. Well, great logo. Yeah. The Checkmate logo is cool. Costumes are cool. Yeah. The premise is cool. And this story is actually a good one. Also, But, you know, like, the art isn't... Too flashy. Although, you know, first panels, I, I, I'm kind of getting, getting into this, but the first panels are very elaborate and probably very tedious to do. They're doing Parliament. Yeah, Parliament in the uh, in London. So uh, unlike ours, ours is like in a big, it's a big freaking room. Yeah. The, the British have balconies where they put yeah. the MPs. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Like the country got bigger and they... Kept the same room. Yeah, they get everybody in there. In Canada, we have something like this, but yeah, yeah, it looks like a hockey stadium in Canada. <laughs> and sometimes hockey games break out just because, you know, yeah. we're Canada. But yeah, it starts in Parliament, and and off the bat, I mean, I, I was thinking, oof, is everything going to be like this? It's very tedious, really small lines, you know, drawing buildings, elaborate buildings. But you know, it it gets simpler along the way. But I think that the team, the Irwin Vey team, is a little bit. It's a little bit dirty. It's a little bit sketchy. The coloring isn't doing it any favors, like big blocks of color. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which was, you know, more or less the standard of the time. You didn't have the uh, the computer coloring. That we have today, uh, but I think this would have benefited from it. Oh yeah, big uh, just time. giving it a little bit more because it's like it wants to be realistic art. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's not real. But because of the flat colors, it isn't so much. But I mean, we're in 1988. Uh, yeah, you have to keep that in mind. Of course, right. I drawn up a little synopsis. Yeah, and it's not so little because the story is kind of complex. It is. So we might want to take it by parts. Maybe it takes place over three days. One day at a time. Let's do that. Okay, okay. So, British Parliament, House of Commons, has been taken over by terrorist alien supporters who are trying to force governments to acquiesce to the alien alliance's demands. They even shoot an MP to show they mean business. 
And then a checkmate knight, British from the way he speaks, shows up and devastates the group with a tiny bit of help from a member of the opposition. The knight is Sir Lionel Hawkins, whose true identity is first undersecretary to the Ministry of the Interior, a stereotypical English dandy with a bowler hat, thin mustache, cigarette holder, and umbrella. He returns to Checkmate's London safe house with a pawn called Benson and discusses the situation with his bishop. I say his bishop, it could be his rook. (laughs) I'm not not clear on it. I think it's a bishop. One radical faction has gone dark, and there is cause to worry. Several miles north of London, that faction is holed up in a cottage, and its leader, Nolan, is getting directives from the aliens over the television. They don't want to help him directly. His mission needs to be human only. He works with them, but they give him the creeps. So that's the first day. It's a full day. <laughs> like a terrorist attack on Parliament. Lots of violence. But we also meet the character that's... It's like, I think Checkmate was probably a bit like this. Like like this character, uh, Sir Lionel, was probably never seen before. It's like, oh, let's look at this knight, and then let's look at yeah, this knight. Yeah, or, probably. I don't know. I, I've never checked it out. But this one, this guy, he reminded me of... Uh, what's his name? Um... Uh, from from uh, the Avengers, the Avengers, Steed, not not, not the the American Avengers, not the you know Steve Rogers and yeah, uh, John Kevin. Steed, yeah, John, yeah. He's, I have the same note. He's this guy. He's exactly <laughs> this guy. Yep. He's kind of kind of sassy, kind of funny. You wouldn't think he's a, like a spy and and everything, but he's pulling off some amazing stuff. He's a character from uh, Kinsman. Yeah, actually, the Secret Service, right? It's exactly what's. It's, that's it. Yeah, because he's, he's Colin Firth in Kinsman. He's he's jumping off stuff. I mean, he, he's he's doing Nightwing type acrobatics yeah. over here, and but with machine guns and he's Nightwing meets the Punisher. Really, I mean that shot where he's just <laughs> mowing down. Yeah, and and not only the terrorists. That, <laughs> he's, he locks a door and he mows down people. So it's. I mean, it's. It's really brutal. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that the uh, one of the things I, I uh, noted was that the, the member of parliament who takes out a gun and shoots one of the terrorists. Who is this guy? He looks like Peter Davison, who's the doctor in the <laughs> early 80s. Actually, yeah. He looks like, <laughs> uh, looks like that. Yeah. But so I, I thought, well, wait, what was happening in British politics at the time? Good question. Okay, it's 1988. It's the tail end of Thatcher's reign. And so, so Thatcher's in power. Yeah. Not apparently present. Well, she doesn't have to. In She's the house, prime, no. prime minister. She doesn't have to be in the house. But, so this is a member of the opposition. And our guy, Lionel, goes, well, you know, a good man. What, what is, what's the line? Good man. Too bad he's a member of the opposition party. So I don't know if he means that guy should be in power because he was helpful and, you know, <laughs> he was cool under pressure. Or is he saying, well, you know, um, I'm, a, I, I'm a Thatcherite. Yeah. Well, is he saying that? I mean, I mean, he works for the government. He works as for the uh, ministry. Yeah, yeah, too bad, so screw him, type thing. Yeah, it's like, oh, good man, uh, too bad, and too bad he's a liberal because that's <laughs> what it would have been. So this yeah. is this is a British liberal taking a gun out. Yeah, <laughs> I guess he grabbed a gun from someone because th- that's not something you put in your pocket. No, no, the terrorists they br- they brought guns in. Oh no, he has his own pistol. No, no, he, he took out a pistol because he says they should have searched us. You know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh well, they should have. They should have searched us. They didn't think of searching us. They searched the Secret Service or whatever the equivalent is uh, in, wow. in the UK. But so you've got a Liberal MP packing heat in the House of Commons. Oh, this is great. This is great. And he helps the knight take care of business. But I mean, 
That's not the liberal um, uh, stereotype. No, it wouldn't be the the liberal. He's probably he's probably a centrist. He's probably closer to you know. <laughs> but yeah. it, it is kind of funny for for us people for for uh, all the Americans having no idea what we're talking about. It's politics. <laughs> well, watch uh, the real House of Cards. Yeah. <laughs> really, actually, yeah, yeah, from the nineties. It's worth it, actually. It is. Uh, so, but one of the things that's really that I find interesting about Checkmate, and that we are starting—I mean, this whole crossover is about an alien invasion. Yeah. So all the aliens of the DC universe are attacking Earth, uh, and different points, different places, and they've got different ways of doing it. Starting with Checkmate was like the first one that came out. Let's say the week after is kind of odd, but also kind of cool because Checkmate really has a foot in the real world. This is like real government, real people, no yeah. aliens. We see no aliens in the story, uh, except on the TV where somebody, obviously an alien is talking to um, yeah. Nolan. And, and, and they but, keep it kind of that way because uh, the people who come in, the terrorists, are, uh, what's their name again? The Free Earthmen for the Alien Alliance. Right. And they're radicals, basically. What they're, what they're pushing is that Earth governments should give in to the aliens, should give up the superheroes, yeah. should give in to all the demands so that the aliens will leave them alone. But of course, they're so, sort of like uh, they're, they're collaborators. Yeah. Where, let the aliens rule and we'll be the favored ones. Yeah, basically that's what it is. So, But it's like real politics. It's, and it's the aliens wanting only humans to, to do this as if no alien hand was, had been taken. So that, you know, the aliens aren't really behind this, only secretly. And if so, then it means that there's like a political movement that actually wants this stuff. So, you know, they're creating sympathy around their cause, even though they're the aggressors. And it's like yeah. really interesting that the Dominators probably, I, I imagine it's the Dominators who are behind this specific I'm, I'm, plan. I'm thinking, because they were the brains of the operation. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine a Kun trying to, no. uh, you know... Or even a Durland. A Durland would just act as humans. They yeah. would just infiltrate humanity. Exactly. With their so, powers. So it's probably the dominators who, who are trying to manipulate everything like this. Yeah. Let's manipulate yeah. Earth governments through easily manipulated humans. Yeah. So Checkmate, Suicide Squad, those books have a very political uh, look at the DC Universe and Usually it's like real world or even the fake countries are stand-ins for real, the real world places. So that's interesting because one of the things that we noted when we read the Daily Planet was that it made us feel like we were, it, this was really happening. Yeah. Real yeah. newspaper, real politicians, real reactions. Exactly. So, so yeah, so this is, this is great because we don't see any aliens, any superheroes in this. No. Nope. It's agents, it's uh, field agents, it's organizations, it's... So, yeah, it, it kind of keeps it still really anchored into real world. Are we jumping to day two? Uh, well, just before we do, I just want to note how Nolan is a drinker. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Working with the aliens <laughs> drives him to drink, which is, I think, a fun... <laughs> a fun little tidbit. Day two. Lionel tracks down and follows the pro-alien radicals to Cavendish Foods on Totter's Lane, which is famous because... It's the street where they find the TARDIS in the very first episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> the first run or the reboot? The, the first one. Okay, well, I, didn't, I didn't know that. You weren't around in 1963. But, <laughs> but yeah, Daughter's Lane is a Doctor Who reference. Okay. Um, you've noticed a few more, so oh, we'll, man, yeah. we'll get to it eventually. Well, anyway, that's where they pick up a weapons shipment, and Lionel puts a transmitter on their lorry. Note my 
British vernacular. <laughs> That's a truck, people. Okay. Meanwhile, more radicals snatch security plans from a government official and lead him to believe they've been destroyed in a trash compactor. The plans, not the guys. When the radicals reach their cottage, Nolan finds the transmitter and decides to abandon most of his men to whoever is in pursuit while he escapes. Lionel wipes the floor with them. Oh my God, does he? <laughs> and and, and uh, what's his name again? This guy? Uh, Nolan? Nolan. He does it nonchalantly. He just walks away. There's a transmitter. Let's, All right. let's take a walk in the woods. Let's go take a hike. <laughs> Are you coming? Sure, I'm coming. And oh my God, they get beat up. Well, so much so, we don't even see the violence in this one. That's right. We only hear the violence in this one. It's just, we're looking at the cottage from the outside. Lionel crashes through the window. He throws a gas grenade. Then he flies through the window. And then we're looking at the cottage wall from the outside. Yeah. And just hearing sounds. And and these are the sounds. I mean, the sounds are priceless. Crash. I think that's crack. Yeah, well, that's even more violent. Oh, no, the the crash. The first one is crash. Sure. sure. Then crack. Very violent. Then pow. Then bash. Then wop, choke, Crunch, bam, and wonk. And then the last one. The last one is a very small boink. Boink. I just like that. <laughs> Whoever was left. <laughs> it was, it's kind of silly, kind of funny, but you know it's awfully yeah, violent. Yeah, then we're, in, in we're inside, and he's, he's looking at his nails. I, it looks like he's looking at his, like, filing his nails. <laughs> he's, he's talking into a, a CB. <laughs> he's very dapper and debonair. And everybody's uh, been you know, oh, yeah. knocked out in the, um, in the house. Yeah, and some of them are in very contorted kind of like this guy. His uh, there's one guy with a yellow shirt. His back is broken. I I don't know what he did, but and Lionel he just goes back to work, back to back to London on day three, and he's yeah, you know just happy as a clam. Just wonderful. He does the job, and then they tell him, well, the the job's not over because here's day three. Checkmate figures out that the alien sympathizers were going to assassinate the Queen. Oh, my. The bloody queen, mate. Oh, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. Lionel invites his bishop, or rook, to meet the queen at a small do that afternoon. Unbeknownst to them, Nolan and his three remaining men decide to undertake the mission they had anyway. They infiltrate the guests and staff and wait for Her Majesty to arrive. Lionel intuits that things don't feel right and heads for the bushes to change into his armor. He snipes Nolan before the assassin can take the shot. All hell breaks loose, and a massacre ensues between the guards and the three remaining terrorists. Lionel heads down to the site and beats all the terrorists up, though he gets shot in the shoulder by a not-quite-dead Nolan. Now, about to be killed outright, Lionel is finally saved by his Bishop Scott. It's sort of the end, uh, to be continued. Yep. Oh man, day three is another full day for this guy, for Lionel. He's, he, you know, he's going back to work, he's getting new orders, etc. And then... We see. We always we, we talked about how this comic book keeps us into the the real world. But first panel of that page, night somewhere in Surrey. Yeah, we have a faulty tower sign. We're at faulty towers. Faulty tower is a, a, an old British uh, sitcom. If you haven't checked it out, you you can probably check it out. John Cleese is in it. It's it's funny. You've seen it. You've seen it. You've seen it. I know you've seen it. Even though they keep us in the in the real world, right now we had at least two real concrete, you know, solid TV references, but they're not... They're, it's That's not, if we're not counting the Avengers. That is, yeah, exactly, because Lionel, he looks like one of the Avengers. They're basically saying we're in a kind of real thing, but it's like TV now. 
we're like in TV land. So, you know, we, we kind of have this suspension of disbelief and, you know, superheroes could, or, or supervillains could be in this world somewhere, but they're just not here. But this is sort of, okay, there's a bit more gore than you'd see in TV. Yeah. Uh, especially in the Parliament sequence. Uh, and then in, in this climax, there's a lot of blood flying around. Yeah. People get, you know, a lot of headshots. I think <laughs> Lionel is very good at headshots. Yeah, yeah. He's... Achievement unlocked very soon in the game. <laughs> Achievement unlocked for sure. But at the same time, it's the the sort of action could. I mean, this would make a great movie. It was it like would. a like a movie. If there were a checkmate movie, I think yeah. it'd look really cool and would have those kinds of action sequences. But you know, the bit where the night where um, Lionel is fighting behind a wall and we don't see it. Yeah. It's like, well, maybe it's a TV budget. It's a TV budget. It's definitely TV budget. Maybe we but can't show all the fights. It could be like some kind of TV show. I mean, it, it would be something similar to, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something like that. Yeah. with Men from Uncle. Or- yeah, you know, something that would, you know, it's in the DC universe, but it's not really connected to any real superhero. We have connections. Well, I think they, they mentioned Checkmate like in Smallville. I mean, yeah. it's, it was a thing in some of the TV shows. It might but turn up again if it hasn't already. They shouldn't because it's a secret organization. Shh. Nobody knows they're there. Except us. Exactly. And now you. <laughs> and you must keep the secret. Except somehow tell people to listen to this podcast. How are you going to do this? <laughs> we don't know. And I was kind of disappointed at that. Because there's this big party where the queen is going to be. This is where the assassination uh, should take place. And I was really, really disappointed that I didn't see my old favorite superhero, Beefeater. Uh, in this comic, <laughs> Beefeater hadn't yet premiered. Uh, really? Nope. Because the Justice League Europe comes out of invasion more or less. Yeah, after the the, the failure of Justice League International, right? And Beefeater shows up in like issue number eight. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm guessing. Oh man, am I right, listeners? <laughs> I don't know. I just love eight Beefeater. or eleven. Anyways, it's it's like a year away. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm not. So that that's off. why he's not there. But well, I mean, he, he should. A lot be. of people dress like him though. I hope maybe Lionel is the the new. Oh man, that would have been uh, (laughs) that that (laughs) would have been something. (laughs) That could have been something. (laughs) Editing Mike here. So I checked, and it's even further than that with the issue I was talking about, Justice League Europe number twenty, and the beef eater Michael Maurice technically first appeared in Justice League Europe Annual number three. But you know, it's very proper. It's very British. Uh, We even have like a a Lady Die reference. It's not really. Lady die, but she really looks like her. Yeah, no, she's like I think she's in the she's in checkmate. Yeah, she, she, she's part of checkmate, but I mean, Lady Die could have been part of checkmate. Why not? We don't know. Uh, the queen comes in with all the guards, the honor guards, etc., and then the action takes place. Right. And a lot of a lot of night badassery. I mean, oh yeah, that, that, that whole thing after he snipes, <laughs> he snipes Nolan. It's it's quite <laughs> incredible. <laughs> because he, he runs to the bushes, but then next time you see him, he's on top of the building. And, on and top of the castle. And this is a, a four or five story building. It's a tall it's a building. building. <laughs> I mean, and he jumps down by just catching every ledge. Oh, yeah. Like spinning on every ledge. And I mean, that color scheme really is Nightwing. It, 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 I mean, it's the blue with a little bit of gold. It's like the early Nightwing. It, it is. It's very Nightwing esque. I mean, he's just. Spider-Manning this thing down. And he just... Superhero lands it perfectly. And uh, he goes to work with the... And this is the very late 80s, early 90s type stuff. He has a bow staff. Who has a bow staff? Nobody has a bow staff unless you're in the late 80s, early 90s. Right. It's 
Teenage Turtles. It is. It is. And and he does everything with this thing. He's super athletic, hits people in the face, kicks people, does everything. Flips them, takes over their guns. But no, he, it's... Uh, you know what he couldn't do? Stop that bullet from... <laughs> Yeah. And you see, it's, tele- it's telescopic that that both staff. You know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He has yeah. he has the Tim Drake, uh, Robin right. staff. And yeah, he doesn't dodge the bullet. He doesn't dodge the bullet, and he's but be- because he thinks he's bulletproof, th- that the knight armor is uh, from what I've read. In I went to read a little bit of Who's Who eighty eight. Yeah, they're, they're somewhat came out just before invasion, and uh, yeah, the when you punch that armor. It get the harder you punch it, the harder you hit it with something, the harder it gets. Okay. So it's good bulletproof, shockproof armor. Something uh, close to vibranium, right? From the Marvel universe, well, it does something like that. Also. Close, but not quite as strong because these are Teflon coated slugs. So I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess they're armor piercing. Yeah, you can. and so they pierce through his armor. Yeah. So he wasn't, you know, he didn't need to dodge a bullet, but you, he should have. But uh, you know what? I, I like the, the like the realism. I, it's kind of weird to say, but you know, there's a lot of blood, and because uh, what's this guy again? Nolan. Nolan. <laughs> Nolan. They all look the same to me. They're British. Nolan gets shot in the shoulder, and, and it's quite bloody. And the, and you have you know, like his arm is stiff on his side, probably limp, but I don't know if it's stiff or limp. Double entendre, expressing several meanings with one phrase. Uh, there's some blood coming down his hand. You know, it's very actually kind of gory, but you, you kind of feel his. You know, he's yeah. The hits are real. Like when somebody gets hit, the reaction is real. So, really, even if the art isn't cool and flashy necessarily, I wouldn't call it that. I mean, but it's it's like a lot of Vertigo comics later. It's showing us a reality with people aren't over muscled. Yeah, the clothes fall on them normally. Yeah, and when something some when someone's hit, it looks like it hurts. And here, but of course, the the blood is a bit a bit splashy. It's it is. Whenever it somebody is. gets shot, the blood doesn't come out the other end. It like explodes from the wound. <laughs> this is yeah, this it, one of the conceits. But yeah, so he gets hit, and I I like the I like his um, almost death. It doesn't end there because he he gets shot. He's got a smaller gun yeah, like in his a, glove, like a Derringer type hit. Yeah, that comes out like a yeah a one of those thing. We're, we're doing the thing like a gambler, like a gambler's little yeah, yeah. duster. And then Nolan throws a knife in his hand, or or shoots his hand, right? It's yeah, a shot. Yeah, yeah, he shoots his hand, so he's really hurt. And then you've got the whole where you're just looking at his eyes through the helmet, and then you're seeing his POV. It's getting dark almost. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. He's we're seeing through his eyes as he's about to die, and then that creates a sort of need for a reveal where he hears the shot. He's not killed. But Nolan has been shot from the back by his um, his colleague. Yeah, it's very cool because in this scene, the knight is so strong and so quick and hits people so he's so superhuman esque because he's not a superhuman; he's just highly trained. But Nolan gets his badass moment. You know, he's shot in the shoulder. He's still yeah. He's still standing tall. He shoots him in the hand. You know. He, Shooting somebody from the hip in in the hand, it's it's still something. And he has his badass moment because he, you know, stood tall in front of a knight and then, well, he gets shot in the back. Gets shot in the back. <laughs> and then the ca- the camera tracks out from the scene, right? There's just like yeah. this little, you always, always need a little bit of a, an end joke. Stop calling me old boy. Because you know? we're men I, and we can't handle grief and, <laughs> and hurt. Right. <laughs> we have to joke about it. <laughs> 
uh, but it tracks out like it's so it's yeah. very cinematic the the POV shot yeah. the, the the camera tracking back this way felt like a film felt like television yeah this part really day 3 really did uh, I, the whole comic book did uh, this party you know it's it's just in one place we're not moving around around a lot so it's like they really use the camera angles to to give us a bigger picture of where we are and this pan it's not a pan out I don't know what they call it a pull out there pull out zoom um, out track out I don't, yeah. I'm not sure what it, it well kinda, there's no real camera <laughs> yeah but you know you see yeah. dead bodies everywhere and people you know just on the ground and this ambulance that comes in and I, I like the way they did that like the because once again we're in 1988 yep and we we didn't photoshop everything so lights had to be colored in you know now we have like these renderings for lights and stuff like that but they have, like, like then you have to draw them. Yeah, and then the way they drew, it kind of brought me back to old comics. Yeah, you've know. got the ambulance, and it's like a, it's like the ambulance. There's like lens flares. Yeah. So again, it's a cinematic conceit. So I remember th- this was written by Paul Kupperberg, who was like was really a workhorse at DC for, through the eighties. Okay. Wrote a lot of stuff and created Checkmate, but. His writing was... I, I've liked a lot of his stories, and he's a very nice man. We've um, Shag and I interviewed him for the uh, Hero Points podcast. Oh, really? Cool. Uh, episode 2, check I'll, it out. I'll ch- I will. Because he co-wrote the uh, Atlas to the DC Universe for the role-playing game. Okay. He wrote a lot of stuff. And so, a lot of stuff is like, man, fairly generic superhero material. So I wasn't expecting this to be like a standout. I, I, I like Copperbird yeah. well enough, but I, I've never read... Checkmate. I've read like a couple of issues of a Checkmate. No more before this, and but now I'd like to read more. I think actually, yeah, me too. Yeah, and so so I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting it to be this uh, exciting and interesting. It was really actually it was really interesting all the way. I, I like the way we had like interesting information points, then a lot of action, then more information points, more just building on the story and the story wasn't slowed down by the action and the action was still there. So I kinda really I, I really enjoyed that give and take of action and story and it's very complex. I mean I had to read it twice. Yeah, me too. So you know just to Especially since we're not following yeah. we haven't read the ten uh, previous issues but I feel badly because I think I misgaged Checkmate, Checkmate. really it's not, well it's not something I'd read at the time because it wasn't available to me until much later and then when flipping through it flipping through back issues or or the couple issues I had read well it's a lot of characters I don't know not wearing costumes and who's who, who yeah yeah who's this guy who's this guy they're all guys with brown hair <laughs> because you're not following it from the beginning yeah so it seemed to me like, well, you know, maybe this is just like Copperberg's Arion, Lord of Atlantis, which I never connected with either. Okay. It's like a fantasy series, you know, the issues I've read, well, whatever. I'm not a big, not necessarily a big fantasy comic book fan. <laughs> Who is, really? Well, people read Conan. Conan Conan's really yeah, okay, good. But, yeah. but everything is like compared to Conan and everything else I've had trouble with. Like, oh, Warlord, let's get into Warlord. Oh, man, I can't get... I can't get through these issues. <laughs> Red, Red Sonja? Have you tried Red Sonja? Well, Red Sonja is part of the Conan universe. But, I mean, I've liked a lot of Conan books. Okay. But everything DC's tried in the fantasy vein, I've tried Arax, Son of Thunder, I've tried Arion, I've tried Warlord. At this time, especially okay. during these years, I was trying to get into a, any comic I could, really, yeah. to see what was good. And, man, I couldn't get through that stuff. And it, so it's not Kupperberg's fault, no, it's probably he just wasn't a, writing all of this. It's probably, <laughs> it's probably just a genre 
It was thing. a genre, yeah. It was a genre thing where I liked novels, fantasy novels, yeah. which I can't stand today. But I didn't like fantasy comics for some reason, or they didn't work for me. I think it was foreshadowing. You really just didn't enjoy that that style or that that genre, and uh, now now you know. Yes, that's right. The my personal heresy of hating Tolkien. <laughs> oh, that, well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So maybe like that was part of it. It was like, well, maybe. that's just another series by this writer whose work I have always connected with, even mm-hmm. though I've I I have enjoyed some of his stories very much. Yeah. Um, and are very memorable to me. This wasn't. But this is written more for for me today. Yeah. Well, than me as a sixteen year old. That's what I was thinking. Uh, maybe we enjoyed it because I don't think I would have read this when I was younger. I would have been gone when I saw the Parliament. Just because... What you know, is this? Just No, because I knew it was the Parliament, and at that time I didn't understand very a lot of stuff about politics and, and how it works and the underbellies of stuff. I didn't even know if things had... And it's not even our government. No, exactly. And for American readers, that's even more of a weird spin because... At least we have a parliament in Canada. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of Well, you know, government. you can kind of relate quickly. They don't linger on the... No, no. the but it's all about radicals and government agencies trying to control radicals and stuff like that. So it's... That's interesting you say that, that it's like... Uh, here it's like the aliens have just dropped by and they've become a rogue nation. Yeah. They've become a, a hostile government. So suddenly they've got agents... And we, that is to say NATO, <laughs> whoever, the allies, uh, have to, you know, have to counter that threat. Yeah, know, really. Where usually, at this point, it would have been, you know, usually communists, and maybe we're starting to get more terrorism. So the aliens, in, in a book that's got a foot in the real world, the aliens are also acting as a dangerous, hostile government yeah. that we have to take care of. As a rogue nation, basically. Yeah. yeah. And, and kind of fitting, too, because they, they actually took the landmass. So they claimed a country. So they're basically now a country at war with the rest of the place. I mean, agencies would be in on that, and, you know, spies, of course, makes sense. So this was a great comic. I probably would check out some more Checkmate from that time. And we will. We actually, will, actually eventually, will. because it says next, the threat of the invasion continues with a knight at Cape Canaveral. So see, we're probably changing knights. We're, we're, you and, know, and we're probably going into space. Well, as you know. we know, we can't leave the Earth without getting lasered. We're, we're still going to cap Cape, Cape Canaveral. Cape Canaveral. I can't say that in, in English. Cape, Can- Cape, Cape Kennedy. <laughs> we're still going at Cape Canaveral. So. Yeah. And this probably has to do with those plans that were stolen. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we saw plans getting stolen, and then the guy thinks, well, the plans were destroyed. Let's go make more copies. So they think... Yeah, and even... So we don't know that they've got the secret plans. But we know. But they do. And so this probably a lead into this, because it doesn't pan out. It doesn't really resolve within this issue. Exactly. It's it's really not resolved. The only thing that's resolved is the the queen didn't get uh, assassinated. That's all we got. So checkmate number two, uh, number 12... Eventually, yeah, I don't know. Does <laughs> it, it's probably after issue two of probably. Invasion. Yes, yeah. that would make sense. So it's yeah. in a while at our uh, particular rhythm. We're gonna take a short break. When we come back, we'll do what we, we'll do every time we uh, broach a new series. We'll talk about our connection to that series. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. a little bit. Justice League International, blah ha ha podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. 
Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort! And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha Podcast. Coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? So we're back. Let's uh, discuss Checkmate as a whole. Okay. What is our connection to the Checkmate brand? You've never read any of the original Checkmate? No, I've never. I've read like the two issues that are part of the Janus Directive, which were is like a small crossover within the Task Force X okay. universe. So you've got Suicide Squad, them, and Manhunter kind of crossing over. Okay, that would make sense, I guess. Yeah, I read those. And, you know, it's those that didn't really make an impression on me. It's okay. just like, uh, well, next. And I do have their first appearance, which was in Action Comics 598. Okay. When, Super- when Action Comics was a team-up book for Superman, for John Byrne's Superman. Okay. And it's like the one-time John Byrne co-wrote an issue that time was with Copperberg. So he could introduce Checkmate uh, in that universe. So you've got, like, a terrorist plot and a Checkmate knight Teams up with Superman? Teams up with Superman. Oh. And it's like, a, well, this is like a new agency that we've never heard of before, and Superman hasn't heard of them before either. And so, so they get the Superman seal of approval. Yeah, right off the bat, without okay. having that, before even their first issue. Which is probably something that a secret agency would want to have, because you don't you don't want Superman <laughs> on your bad side. He, he would mess up your secret agency. Superman shows up at Parliament and stops yeah. the night before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so... And that was cool, but then the the series itself was, like I said, new format, comic book stores only, so it wasn't available to me. So even if Checkmate had left a good impression, which I think it did, because it's all about the costume, really. The Knight's yeah. costume is really cool. It's very cool. And then since there wasn't really a follow-up I could follow, and so I didn't, and that, that's, that was it until the Janus Directive. Okay. And then that was it until basically the new Checkmate. Okay. So... That you do know. I kind of know. I kind of know, because uh, I've always liked the uh, Justice Society of America. Sure. And uh, when they recreated or relaunched Justice Society of America with all the old guys, you know, the Jay Garricks and the, the the Sandmans and everything, they recreated Mr. Terrific. Uh, he was Michael Holt, and, and, and he was this new guy, and I dug him right off the bat. I liked the the T-shaped mask that couldn't come off because it was, you know, molecularly bonded to his face and stuff like that. He was he was smart. He was like a new type of Batman. So I kind of liked him. And uh, along the way, he became one of the one of the directors of, of Checkmate. But I didn't really know anything about them except for that. That he was like uh, uh, the black or the, the white king or something like that. Or the black. I, I, I don't know which is which. Whichever he was. That was the Greg Rucka series. Okay. Which I've read in trade. And it's got, well, it's got, it's got more superheroes in it. Like yeah, you say. yeah. They, they had superheroes. There they split. They were, like, there was more of a chessboard. It wasn't just the rankings. There were colors, right? There was, like, the white and the black. White was, people were involved in intel. Okay. And black were operatives. So it was a, this time it was a United Nations affiliated intelligence intervention force with the specific purpose of maintaining balance between Earth's humans and meta-human communities. Okay. 
So I'm not sure how that... I don't... I mean, it's been a while since I read it, so uh, how did that work exactly? But it, they did have that issue where they needed as many humans as they had metahumans. Okay, so, so it couldn't be a force of superheroes. There had to be human involvement in this. Or else the United Nations would go, no, you know. <laughs> we can't have that. It had to have oversight. It's yeah. like all checks and balances... So okay. it was political within the organization itself. Okay. So white and black could be at odds. Not like uh, good and evil, but, um, you know, the, the people collecting intel, uh, then somebody, you know, you, you've got a guy undercover collecting intel in a terrorist cell. And then the ops guys didn't coordinate with you. And they have a strike in this place and right. somebody they gets... screw you up. Yeah. So there, ha- there was a bit of that to that. And so they had members from both humans and metahumans. Uh, some we know... Amanda Waller, Fire from the Justice League. Yeah. Mr. Terrific, as you said. King Faraday, which was the I Spy. Count Vertigo was one of the members. Yeah, I kind of remember that they had, like, like uh, super villains. Normally bad guys, yeah. Yeah, and I, for some odd reason, I have a Mercy, the bodyguard from Lex Luthor. Was she in there? I don't know, but for some odd reason, I think she was. <laughs> Maybe. She was, a, I think she was, like, an operative. She was, like, a, a knight. I know there was a Mademoiselle Marie. And okay. the new Mademoiselle Marie, obviously not the World War II one. Snapper Car was in there for a while. Oh, yeah. G.I. Robot was in there. G.I. Robot? <laughs> yeah. Really? Uh, was uh, Maxwell Lord in there? Uh, I don't think so. Or maybe... Uh, for some odd reason, my brother knows a bit more about this okay. stuff than I do. They did appear across the DC Universe okay. during that time. I, I need to reread those books. I think. But, yeah. yeah, I read the whole thing in trade later because they actually came out at a time when I was out of comics. Early 2000s. Yeah. For money reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were kind of... I mean, the, the price hasn't changed a lot since then. And they no. were kind of... But I had, a prob- I had a real problem, like an addiction problem. Okay. Where I would buy way too many comics or put too many comics on my pull list. Okay. And then uh, wind up not having the money to pay for them and then sort of... Getting beat up from the... By the Not answering the my phone because the comic book store was calling about okay. my pull. And then... Oh, my God. And then just never going back to that store ever again. If you if you replaced, <laughs> you replaced comic books by cocaine, you would have been like... It's, it's the same thing. It was story. the same because I went to a comic book store during those years. During okay. my sort of severance from... From the hobby, <laughs> and I couldn't. My eyes couldn't focus on the comic book rack. Oh my god! If if they did, I felt ill. Oh my! From looking at comic book covers, you had withdrawals. So I had to. I had to sort of. I was like in a twelve step. I I had to <laughs> to like blur my. I had to put my eyes out of focus, blurry vision myself to not see anything going on on covers, and then eventually got a better job and yeah yeah yeah. And then yeah. I started buying a lot of stuff in trade. And okay. sticking to trades, yeah, which is which yeah. is a great option. It's an adult option, I think. Right, you know, when you want to read a, a whole story instead of just waiting for the next issue. But so yeah, I get it. If you didn't know, this was a session of Geeks Anonymous. <laughs> My name is Siskoid, and I have a problem. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto. So both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Doc Samson. Who's Doc who? Uh, Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs>
The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Okay, mailbag time. Invasion! Letters from the front! <laughs> We're actually taping this like two days after the last episode came out. Yeah, really, really. <laughs> so this is very fresh and we'll probably have more comments on episode three yeah. as we move forward. There is one comment from about episode two that we got just too late to mention last time uh, from Diablo Frank, who is a ruiner. I will warn you right now. <laughs> Lately, he's, um, he's, he's sounded in on, on a couple of episodes of Secret Origins, but he okay. always does and he always leaves like these long involved comments and you know about the history of the comics and okay. uh, and it's always very interesting. So he has he has a lot of knowledge about. Oh yeah, okay. Frank's great, but but <laughs> but he can take a negative tone sometimes. Okay, <laughs> I think he ruined comics for Ryan. Oh my! <laughs> at my. Secret Origins. Oh, well, Frank, be nice, dude. <laughs> and he wasn't like mean spirited. No, he's just, just <laughs> probably trying to help actually. <laughs> Uh, but in in this case, kind of ruining it. Okay, <laughs> Frank says invasion issues were roughly the size of three point sixty four comics at the cost of four times current cover price, which was not an equitable exchange for my limited reading dollar. <laughs> we're, we're going on and on invasion eighty pages. It's cool. It's a lot of story. Well, Frank is actually being funny over here. That's <laughs> oh yeah, he's funny. always funny. I get it. But that's the reason he didn't really read it at the time. McFarlane's concentration uh, of detailing was somewhere between Infinity Inc. and his Hulk run without the overwrought design elements. So it was also coming up short in the India Inc. department. The series came out at a time when I was not seriously following any DC titles. And after the neighborhood comic shop had closed, so I would have had limited access and interest in the many tie-ins. Finally, the book was filled with goofy-looking Silver Age aliens and lacked a core of marketable protagonists, so I painlessly passed on it at the newsstand. Plus, I only recall ever seeing it racked at one local Safeway grocery store we irregularly shopped at. Well, he probably... He lived... Exactly the same way we did then. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we didn't have a lot of... Uh, we couldn't get it. That's why we're talking about it now. Yeah. He had to do the pilgrimage yeah. from store to store. I think Frank was a Marvelite more at this time. Okay. Uh, as well, I was getting out of the Marvel and into the DC. Uh, today, Frank is a big DC head. But he runs a Marvel Comics podcast. So... Oh, well, you know what? You don't have to choose. Nobody has to choose. No, it's not a competition. We can love everybody. If we look at comments, actually, from for episode three, which was the Daily Planet Extra. Okay. On Twitter, Michelle Fifa sent an audio of Keith Giffen talking about Invasion, which will run in a future episode. Cool. Probably when we get to another Giffen-written issue, so probably Invasion number two. I'll try to oh, pull out that, that discussion. That is awesome. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, Comic Reflection said uh, the White Knights from Invasion, or you meant actually meant the uh, what was it the Guardian Arrows are based on the real world group the Guardian Angels. So there's an actual Guardian Angels yeah a thing we we didn't know where it was from. Apparently it's just based on a real thing, not a DC thing. Okay. Film and Water podcast that's uh, Rob Kelly said I wonder what President Gerald Ford would have thought of this. The the newspaper cover imitated uh, a headline about him. On Facebook, Clinton (laughs) Robinson on Facebook said, let me know if you two found anything interesting in the personal ads. Sorry, Clinton. (laughs) There's just an ad for a a sidekick. If you're interested. I mean, it was 1988. It's probably been filled three times. Yeah, it has three times and one has died. Oh. (laughs) Joe X 
said, uh, this is on the blog now, uh, and you too can leave comments. It's uh, as easy as going to fireandwaterpodcast.com, as we are a uh, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Uh, Joe X here, there says, do not go down the pocket universe hole. It will never end. That's how it <laughs> felt. Uh, that picture of Funky Flashman is actually DC marketing guy Bob Wayne. So when we're trying to okay, spot yeah. who was what, what DC staffer was playing which part, yeah, uh, he also says these days Sidney Mellon would be the most popular Reddit troll ever. <laughs> uh, the big one you missed in the TV listings was Courageous Man, based on Bob Kane's Courageous Cat. Oh yeah, we did miss that. I I, I don't even get it now. Casey the Cop which was another TV show on that listing, was an old DC half-page filler strip. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I do remember seeing Casey the Cop. Yeah, although my preference for these things was uh, Super Turtle. And there was a Shake, Rattle, and Roll feature also in the TV listings, which is from Sonic Disruptors, which was a outside DC Universe okay. mini-series. I think it was a maxi-series kind of deal. Uh, Young Romance and Secret Hearts were DC Romance titles as well, and Supergirl was a cast member of Secret Hearts for a while. Was she? Yes, uh, later on, if I flip this page here, and she was a Supergirl expert, uh, said that Linda Danvers starred on a soap called Secret Hearts in the Superman family book. Wow. She was playing a mean hussy named Margot. So this was like something Linda was doing, or Kara was doing so she in was, her life, in her secret identity. Within her secret identity, she took roles as an actor? Yeah. Oh, that's great. I seems dangerous. It's, it does. <laughs> And he also says, definitely cute that the listing is about a Supergirl-like character. I must admit, I don't have this mini. Uh, he's talking about Invasion. So I'm going to gauge my efforts to track it down based on your enthusiasm. I love the trippy Animal Man crossover, pure Morrison madness. We'll get to that soon, I hope. And Invasion did clear the decks for Morrison to take over Doom Patrol. Great episode and a great promotion from DC. Uh, who else we have? Chris Franklin from uh, the Supermates podcast said, okay, I lied. I don't have this. Oh, well, yeah, he said... He said he had the newspaper, but he do- he, he didn't. He doesn't, you liar. Uh, yeah, not sure what I do have, but I think it was a newsprint-free giveaway ad flyer that looked like a Daily Planet edition. I remember, like, comic book shops would give away those kinds of things. Was just, you just get, like, a... Well, that's like not... Like a one-sheet kind of that's thing. That's not the same thing. No, but uh, it's easy to get confused later on. Well, I'm, I'm not <laughs> buying it. I'm not buying it. He says, I may be confusing this with something else. Sorry if I'm muddying the waters. You are, Franklin... I'm kidding, it's alright. Yeah. I agree, it's kind of odd to relate some tragic real-world events to this and then go cheeky with in-jokes. But DC was far less dour and serious than they seem now. There was still a sense of, it's just comics, folks, even when they were publishing mature stuff like pre-Vertigo titles, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, etc. An odd nitpick, but Scrapper, who was on the, the sort of cardstock cover, mm-hmm. is normally seen in an orange sweater. Very Velma-like. Maybe they really wanted an orange background and opted to change it, because he's in green on that cover. Yeah. Great show as always. Looking forward to exploring all the crossovers, which I definitely do not have. He's not pretending to have anything else. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Scrapper, that's the thing. I didn't recognize Scrapper, because I didn't know... I know of the Legion of... uh, The uh, Newsboy Legion? The Newsboy Legion. The Legion of Newsboys. (laughs) I didn't know which one was which. I only know they had a nerd guy, a scrappy guy, you know... A talky guy. A talky guy. A normal guy. So basically they were like... What's their name there? The, the the kids from the TV show from the 40s. The, the, little oh, rascals. Little rascals, yeah. <laughs> Basically, they were little rascals in superhero form. Uh, well, I mean, they're all... Yeah, I think that's supposed to be... There's a connection there. Paul Hicks 
Our resident Australian. Can we say that? Can he be a resident and an Australian? <laughs> uh, he says, DC Universe Australia sure bounced back from losing 80% of its population. Well, we know how you guys are. <laughs> I know. You need a lot of beer down there. Uh, and, uh, and isn't rabbits <laughs> a sort of, um, it's just like an Australian expletive? I think so. I blame Zero Hour. Zero Hour rebooted yeah. so much of the universe, maybe it regrew the population. And then uh, we had Shag uh, sent us a picture of himself reading the Daily Planet edition. Yeah, that was really cool. That was really cool. Was he in a toilet? I think he was on a toilet. <laughs> it felt like he was on a toilet, but he was obviously in a room with... Uh, <laughs> like a, He had a, like a Doctor Who play set in the yeah. back of him and a poster of Firestorm. Yeah, really really putting out the, the geek cred. <laughs> we, we, we get it. Oof. Uh, and he also said, by the way, Sharon Scott, who was on Bruce, Wayne, Bruce Wayne's date in yeah. the Gossip yeah, yeah, yeah. column, is Blue Devil's girlfriend normally. Really? So uh, Devil's uh, series was over by this point, so... Bruce Wayne just Poor Dan oh. losing out to Bruce Wayne. Oh, man, but Bruce Wayne. Man, Bruce Wayne's only doing it for show. It's never going to yeah. lead anywhere. It's not like he can spend the night with him. But still, still, I mean, yeah, he's, she's not going to spend the night. She can't spend the night. No, she's going to be crying back to, you know, <laughs> to, Blue to Dan. Dan. Uh, and then we have uh, Jeff Nettleton, who said, really enjoying the podcast, is going in bus. Thanks for learning our names. Thank you very much. Neither of which are our given names. Our <laughs> exactly. parents did not call us this. <laughs> uh, I read this when it came out, but never really reread it. It started well, but I was a bit underwhelmed by the end, and I think I had uh, I had hit crossover fatigue. I do recall being a bit miffed that this interrupted Manhunter with a side trip to Australia and an encounter with the Flash. I think it's actually. Cuba, but same difference. When the book had been building momentum, Doug Rice would soon leave it, and it never really recovered. I guess I kind of associate the series with those kinds of tangential things. It's true that the crossover is like killing your book. Yeah, it probably happened to a lot interrupting of your book, and yeah, no, it happened to a lot. Yeah. And usually, I think crossovers were more a detriment to the. I mean, it got you to read books you wouldn't read normally, but it wasn't a standout issue. Yeah. Of that book, so maybe maybe you didn't return. Like maybe a little sales spike. But. So they they just ruined some whatever book you're following has a story, yeah. and then interruption. Yeah, because because now everything's always a crossover. We don't really well, know. Now it's it's it's, it's all, all the time. Place. Yeah. So you know we don't have that anymore. Uh, and it says also the aftermath was rather short lived, so it kind of fell into a dark recesses of memory. However. What you've been talking about was what drew me into it in the first place. I thought McFarlane was good at this point, having enjoyed him on Infinity Inc. Uh, at DC, he got a lot of mentoring by Dick Giordano, by his own admission, and his artwork came a long way. Once he hit Marvel, then he fell into a lot of people squatting on rooftops and capes flowing all over creation, especially when they let him write. Hear the quotes? <laughs> Liefeld was another who seemed to be given focus at DC, but then lost it. The Kunz uh, had been built up really well in Legion of Superheroes, but I remember being somewhat disappointed with them here. I guess I wanted them to be more central to the plot rather than the Dominators. Okay. I had that Daily Planet tie-in, and it was a lot of fun. I want to say it was a giveaway in the comic book stores, similar to Comic Shop News. See, you're doing the same thing Chris is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the same thing? I don't think it's the same thing, because it had a cover price. I mean, it had a definite cover price. The closest thing to this was an issue of Comic Shop News, which came out on April 1st, when the release day fell up upon it. They had a banner headline that said, Marvel buys DC! 
<laughs> it was filled with articles about the new changes that were coming, like Justice of the New Universe, which was still going on at this point, joining the Justice League. When you flip the issue over, you got the headline, April Fools, or something similar. It did almost seem plausible at the time. Ironic that about 10 years later, uh, there had been a real possibility of Warner acquiring the bankrupt pieces of Marvel. Uh, there were certainly rumors that they were looking at that possibility. I actually remember these rumors. Didn't happen. The thing about these crossovers was always the aftermath. Crisis led to a real golden period for DC, while Legends gave us Justice League and Suicide Squad. Millennium gave us Manhunter and New Guardians, neither of which set the world on fire, though Manhunter really started well. This gave us Legion, the acronym which had a good run, and the Blaster special, which was at least funny with Peter David in a playful mood. The event comics didn't exactly create fertile environments, but a few like this were entertaining enough on their own. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, and there's a final message that came in. It's not on my sheet. I'm going to have to go right to the site. Right now. S- seconds before you walked in, Bast. Okay. Uh, Bradley Null says, I love this show. I know exactly when I lost this paper. In a bet, in a bet. Wow! <laughs> I may dig up the other issues of this. I have. I'm not even sure I still have the mini. I bought it new from the shop. I remember the crossovers, but I have no actual memory of the book itself. Time to dig and reread. Yes, I think you should. Although you lost it in a bet, I want to hear more. Yes, yes. Uh, what bet and how was this on the line? <laughs> well, I mean, if it's a rare thing, I mean, we don't have one. No, I get it. Why? Why? Let's bet someone. But I need I need to know I need to know what was the bet. I'm going to bet. I'm going to bet that you're not going to send us this newspaper if I give you my address. <laughs> uh, and let's just end on Facebook likes and shares. Uh, Tim Wallace, Clinton Robinson, Ryan Daly, Kyle Benning, Anthony Durso, Chuck Rodriguez, Corey Hodgson, Andrew Leyland, Sean Emmons, Jared West, Nicholas Brom, Alan Middleton, Chris Franklin, Kathy Adams, Sean Brock. Rob Kelly, David Ace Gutierrez, Abel Padilla, Derek William Crabb, Ruth Sutherland, John Trumbull, Paul Scavito, Derek Burke, Andy Capellish, Brian Nardley, and Michelle Fief. Thank you very much. Thank you for your Facebook likes and shares. And if you're a Twitter user, thank you as well to Comic Reflections, Coffee and Comics Blog, Michelle Fief again, and Richard Field. As always, this is Siskoid. And this is Bass. And we'll see you on the front. Next, Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 80.